Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. To be honest, like I don't think I would have been any closer to where I am now without the G League because it actually gave me a place where I could show where I was capable of doing while getting better. I'm going to keep it 100. Plus the bootay, plus the problem. Oh, Wow. I can't Dude. believe this. Harold can't believe that. He goes up. He's going up two hands hard. And Boucher with great length. He's deceiving. Thank you. Back it up, Danny G. Danny G. There you go. Boucher sets the screen. Rolling. Boucher busts the foul. 15 points for Chris Boucher. Give me some of that right here. Get that garbage out of here. That is Blanche back to 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 back. Whoa. Carter comes up shooting. Got it! 1.2 seconds to go. Vince Carter, you are amazing. Give it to me. A little baby black. Garbage out of here. Welcome to Toronto Sport Matters Podcast number 79, where it is just Greg and I kicking it old school, like day one. How you doing, buddy? Takes me back, brother. Right back to the first podcast where we had barely an idea what the fuck we're doing. We still have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, I was going to say, as opposed to... (laughs) What's happening right now, but the (laughs) conversation is still happening. Missed you guys last week. I went to Mexico. Uh, My body kind of just collapsed on me, just poison spewed on my body for like three days straight. That Mexican water is pretty uh, challenging to my uh, Canadian feeble stomach. Yeah, you look about 10 pounds lighter. Yep, yep. It was uh, a very physically tumultuous experience. Uh, Literally everything out of my body came out during that span. I know, Greg, you had that experience in Mexico when you went. This basically, like, just like Mexico is a beautiful place, beautiful beaches, great people. Just avoid it, though, personally, because my body can't acclimate to what the gastrology of that uh, country is. You know what? And. It's extra shitty when you're sick in a beautiful place like that because, yeah. like, you, you feel like you should be out enjoying it. Oh, it's and brutal. there's all these, like, smiling, happy people. <laughs> and I was laying in bed. Yeah. I had the window open, beautiful scenic view of Puerto Vallarta, and just my organs were failing me. Yeah. It was it, it, it was a tough experience for me, but I'm back uh, physically in shape. I'm maybe at 70%, but we're still doing the podcast no, one, no matter what. Uh, Christian is in Montreal, so it's just us two today. Uh, there's a lot of unpackage for the Raptors. I know there's a couple things you wanted to discuss. I guess we'll start it off with something we kind of been uh, discussing within the last few podcasts of this new season has been you know the Raptors' position when it comes to the NBA hierarchy. Um, I think we kind of predicted them 
as a middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference team. Obviously, right now, they're showing us that they're one of the elite in the East. But how do they stack up, do you think, to other teams in the Western Conference? Because obviously, we're on a tear. We destroyed the Charlotte Hornets last night, which we probably should have done in the first place. But, but, how but do you that view, was impressive. But how do you compare our team to, obviously, the Goliaths in the West? Well, yeah, and uh, if we could just say... I need to eat a little bit of crow, right? Because I was on this podcast two weeks ago prior to the West Coast road trip. And I made the statement that when I watched us play Milwaukee, to me it looked like we were a tier below uh, those elite teams in the East. However, seeing how the team has played over the past two weeks has filled me... um, with a little more confidence. And here's why. First, the point I made was regarding the fact that we don't have a monster. What I mean by that is we don't have a player who defies the physical dimensions of a, of a regular NBA athlete that can just change the physics of the game. Right. Like you, know, Leonard. you look at you know the NBA, the way it's structured, it's star hunting, right? You got to get that one guy who can Superstar, move the needle. Yeah, legitimate you know, you can, like mega stars. Yeah, Raptors, mediocrity for years, DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, sort of like B-level, not superstars, but stars, very competent players, but obviously a guy coming in like Kawhi Leonard, being able to carry a team like Toronto to the championship, it's a clear indication that every team needs that one guy. Well, because look, when games get close and defenses get locked in in playoff series and you're playing against elite defenses with great athletes, do you have guys that can get a bucket when you need it, right? And when I look at Toronto, uh, although to me, Pascal was a star, when I saw him against Giannis, you could see that maybe he wasn't ready, at least yet, this season, right, to be that superstar, But, and I say but, what I've seen on this Western trip is that the Raptors have something that they do better than any other team in the league, and that is compete. As a collective unit, they seem to have that intangible um, hustle ability. Maybe grit. Grit, grime, right? And... When you combine that, and and also I will say with Siakam, he does have the physical properties of a potential monster in the NBA. I just don't think he's in his prime yet, right? To win at the highest level in this league, you know, you need guys that are in their primes, right? I want to go back to the grit thing for a second. That was a fantastic point. I think the grittiness kind of derives from... The underdog story, that is a Toronto Raptors. You know, Nick Nurse's trajectory as a coach. Even yeah. the guys that are kind of fill up the roster. Fred Van Vliet, you know, unsigned free agent coming into college. OG Ananobi, catastrophic knee injury, dropping in the 20s in the draft. Yeah. Pascal Siakam, an afterthought in the first round. You know what I mean? Yep. These guys were not coming in as these heralded superstars coming into college. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? These AU babies. These guys who had a- to fight. AU babies. AU right, exactly. Yeah. They, didn't have, they had to fight for every single You babies. Exactly, exactly. And that's what makes this team so interesting is that cohesion. You know what I mean? Teamwork. But most importantly, everybody wants it every single night. There's not many divas on this team. There's not many egos and personalities. And I think that's what Nick Nurse and Masai Jerry especially has done a great job of constructing a roster that doesn't really have that sort of, you know, locker room turmoil, let's say. And, you know, and we talk about we talk about those 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 late uh, round uh, gems in the draft and whatnot and, and their upside. 
to me, this season's the biggest variable in this season wasn't even Siakam, it's OG Ananobi. And when I see what I saw last night, when OG is pump faking, sidestepping, draining threes, he's got 24 points in the you know, through three quarters, right? And the things with these with this Raptors team and uh, our friend that 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 joined us on the on the podcast, uh Jordan. Jordan uh made this point that we're not actually a finished product. So it's it's unfair, I think, then for us to say they aren't a a potential contender. Look, I think that we have as legitimate of a chance to get to the finals and compete as any other team in the East. But what we are not is what the the Raptors apologists on Sportsnet like to like to pitch us as, which is that we're on top of the mountain and everyone's kind of coming to take what we have. That it's not the way that that, that the league looks at us, and truthfully, it's not the way that the league right. should and, look and, at us. And on on the surface, this may sound like a negative statement, but this is a like a really, purely a silver lining statement within yeah, itself I mean, because I think one of the more difficult things you can do as a franchise, and we're seeing what's happening in Golden State Warriors right now, is that you rebuild on the fly. Reboot. You yep. know what I mean? And the ability to just sort of develop the internal core identity of his team, regardless yeah. of the fact that we lose a guy like Kawhi Leonard, regardless of we lose DeMar DeRozan for nothing, we yep. still keep the ship going. You know, Kyle Lowry, what, age 33, still a competent point guard, but you can More see... That, dude, if it, he was he, playing his but, best basketball I've seen. Absolutely, but I'm saying beyond Kyle Lowry, you know, eventually getting the point where, you know, he's going to drop off a bit or retire, there's still an identity. We yep. are still a competitive team based on the way Messiah strategically built yeah. this team through the draft. Yeah, and, and another big part of this is Fred Van Vliet. Like, I, you know, in my wildest dreams, I would, I could never have predicted that Fred Van Vliet would turn into a guy that can drop 30, you know, you know, almost triple-double-like numbers with a relatively low turnover ratio. It's just a turnover ratio. Like, he's playing not just like he's he's a starting point guard in the league. He's playing like an elite player. Right, but then here's my beef. Then, okay, or it's not a beef, but suggestion. I would love to see the Raptors make a trade at the trade deadline to improve the roster to really give this team a shot in the arm to actually make a run and get back to the finals. Right. So that's the kind of issue you can kind of have in the situation because again, you're you're talking about the team that hasn't necessarily plateaued. You know, no, that, that's, that's still, you're right. That's still learning. You know what I mean? So if you put all your chips in one basket on this season in the hope that what you can make the NBA finals or be repeat champions, you're also giving up on the fact that, you, you know, yeah. Masai has been masterful in the first round when it comes to finding hidden gems. Yeah. So the, you're probably going to have to the give draft up picks. position will have to give up a pick. Yeah. So a guy who could potentially be a, mo- a needle mover down the road, as well as a combination of the guys who are in and the roster it would have to be like an OG and OB, a pa- not a Pascal Siaka, but even a Fred Van Vliet. Someone would have to be involved in the pack in order to bring in a superstar a yeah. guy that could you know emulate what Kawhi did for us last Look, year. I you know, it's just that with the exception of Siakam, it's tough to see any of our play like our whole offense is predicated on driving and kicking. And it's great because the ball, you know, it's good. Uh the ball flows, you know, like penetrate, kick, pump fake, penetrate, kick, pump fake, swing, swing. But there's times where you just need a guy that can get you a bucket. And and when you look at the best teams in the league, and you started this conversation by asking me about, you know, can compare with those Goliaths in the West. When right, when you got guys like James Harden, Luka Doncic, uh uh Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, 
Anthony Davis, right? These are guys that can get shots off relatively easy in big moments, right? Where and so when you're in a tough, uh, a tight game, and there's been times this year where this has happened, where the Raptors have gotten back in a game, and we just couldn't push back that, push past that that breaking point, right? When you get a guy like like Luca, like when you have a player like that, any close game, you're automatically with an advantage. Right, and I just feel like with because even Pascal, teams will back off him, right? They they back off him, and he ends up then trying to put a lot of like three pointers up off the dribble. Now he's a much improved three point shooter, but that's a bailout. Uh, you know what I love him when he's in that uh, post up. He is such a great post up player, man. Mm-hmm. But my point is, I think our team needs another uh, isolation scorer, right? This is this is my one criticism right and, now and, of the and, team. And that's a predicament is that do you rush and you know jump the gun and try to find that missing piece or do you just sort of maintain the course, maintain the road, yeah. you know, and the other there's so many you know, <laughs> com- combining factors, you know, you talk about New York Knicks looking to get a guy Masai Ujiri, Masai leaves, you know what I mean? How's that going to impact the the development side of the game, you know, for the Raptors or even, you know, the draft stock or the ability to draft, you know, credible guys in the first round. Yeah, as well. do you think Masai Ujiri is that stupid? To go and play for 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 Dolan, and but can we can we talk actually, Brandon, about that press conference that the Knicks held, where they came out? How are you gonna after ten games? How and after you absolutely like missed out on the free agent boat, and you're gonna come out and you're gonna call out your team and the coach for not being good enough. When you got a when you got a squad full of power forwards and young players, and you traded away Christoph Porzingis for cap space to sign superstars that never came, it's just it's 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 the mentality of James Dolan. I just don't think he understands the, the necessity to have a good basketball culture to encourage guys to come to the city. I don't think he understands that how his reputation is impacting this organization. You're seeing like a team like the Washington Redskins and Dan Snyder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Toxic culture within an organization is the biggest detriment toward cultivating talent or bringing in talent. But and- then why, like these rumors or whatever, why would Masai, I, I just don't buy it. I just don't see it. I don't buy it, but I do buy the idea that there are, you know, enticing options out there for a guy like Masai Ujiri. He seems like a kind of guy that wants to grow as a human being, you know, not be complacent and stuck in one situation forever. Yeah, right? and, and really, and, if he you know, revi- to revitalize the Knicks, he would be like basketball like, he's already royalty. He'd he become a god. Right, but you're right. He's not a money chaser. You know what I mean? He wouldn't go to this position purely for the financial gain. He would go somewhere for the the, the, the challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, multiple, a couple other things we kind of want to get to uh, throughout the NBA. Uh, so, the greatest player that's ever stepped on the court, the icon himself, the Hall of Famer. I think every basketball arena in the world should have a statue of him outside, purely made of gold. Carmelo Anthony is back. <laughs> he is playing tonight against the New Orleans Pelicans. He's filling in for Zach Collins. He's out for an extended period of time with a shoulder injury. Uh, Curly's going to make a base salary of about 2.1. 
$1.15 million. The contract becomes fully guaranteed if he's not waived by 5 p.m. on January the 7th. How do you see the situation shaking out? You know, Portland's a team that I think many people viewed as in the upper echelon of the Western Conference. Obviously, they stumbled a bit coming out of the gate. Do you a think bit. Carmelo's going to help improve this team? You're talking about two ball-dominant guards not known for their defensive play. Um, it's going to be a challenge to fit him in, but do you think Carmelo, this is a good situation for Carmelo to at least rejuvenate his career? Maybe two years ago when uh, Portland actually wanted him, right? He should have gone then. Uh, look, if he could hit spot-up jump shots, spot-up threes specifically, if he can hit spot-up threes, uh, he would have offensive value, right? Um, you could probably get on the block, um, right? Do a little post-up, little fadeaway action in mid-range, but... Outside of that, like, Portland plays fast, too, right? Um, the issue is that defensively, like, I, I just don't know if he can last anymore with, like, the quickness of the league now, right? Like, he's been out of the game for a whole year, mm-hmm. right? And how much of that offensive prowess does he still have? Well, that's a question, right? Zach Collins does is a brings that the shot-blocking tangible in combination of the big three-point shooting option on the yeah. offensive side, right? Carmelo, you know, obviously is not known for his defensive play. Uh, this team does have a lot of firepower offensively, but you're right. Like, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he could, can play with Hassan Whiteside, for example, in the front court, because Hassan Whiteside is a little bit of a dominant presence in the low post as a shot blocker, rebounder. Yeah. So we'll see how him and Carmelo can sort of uh, work off their skill set together. But I, I, again, this is a very confusing signing for me. Well, look, I, I actually am rooting for Carmelo just because Oh no like, no for sure me too right? like, like like old like school Carmelo was one of my favorite players Denver Nuggets Carmelo The great American ball hog man <laughs> right and like you'd like to see him I mean it would be a great story wouldn't it like out of the league for a year comes back finds himself there um in uh, Portland and plays a couple more seasons and actually helps them compete in the in the playoffs the issue is right now like that team like this shows their desperation does it not like, doesn't it show their desperation? Yeah, like, it's it, it's 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 desperation, but it's also something else, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Like, it's a very confusing signing. I just don't understand. It's just appeasing the fan base. It's just giving the fan base hope, because this is the only logical reason why they would want to sign a guy like Carmelo. Maybe in Damian Lillard and Carmelo have a strong relationship, and he was in the GM's ear to entice Carmelo to come, or entice the GM to bring Carmelo in. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I just don't. I don't understand well, why you would want to bring Carmelo in as your mercenary at this point in the season when everything he's shown within the last you know half decade has been nothing but a disaster. Yeah, and 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 that's what I mean. I feel like it's not just like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's like if it doesn't work, you are going to probably have to like blow up the team. At which point, C.J. McCollum might become available. Well, C.J. McCollum would, have, would probably be the one available considering Dame's max contract extension as well, similar to what John Wall's getting paid right now. So it, 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 if, if this season does not work out, you could be looking at the Washington Wizards of the West. Ugh. Based on the salary cap restraints, based on going all in on one guy. And, and, and this is no stab against Damian Lillard. He's one of the maybe top 10 best players in the NBA. Yeah, but when amazing. you financially commit to something like that and limit your ability to build a team around him, uh, it doesn't look great, especially when you look at the, the LAs of the West and you know even Denver and Utah. It's brutal in the West right now. Like, like especially when you talk about... And this is with the Golden State Warriors being completely out of it, right? Like, it's still absolutely brutal. Like, I'm really worried that the Spurs 
aren't even going to get in the playoffs right now. Right? Like they get Paul George back first game back. Um so we'll we'll, we'll see what happens but I don't know. Uh, moving down the list, uh, next topic I guess we can kind of talk about is um, another guy that's been underperforming his last the last few years. Uh, Canada's very own Andrew Wiggins signed that massive five year contract, five year one point one hundred forty seven million dollars. Um, probably mm. playing the best basketball of his career right now, just averaging under twenty six points per game, uh, five rebounds, three and a half assists. Is this sustainable? You know, obviously he's been someone who has been kind of shit on to put it lightly yeah, uh, put I think it lightly. I, I think a lot of people have kind of given up on him former number one overall pick centerpiece in the Kevin Love trade um, do you do you think he can sustain this performance I throughout hope so, the season because the American media I mean you say they shit on him and again that like it, he, he is the punchline of every joke he and you know perhaps and some of that's fair right um, not all of it right there were some tough situations there in Minnesota, I don't think things were quite ideal. Well, it was a Jimmy Butler And that's what I mean, room. like, right, the turnover, uh, right? Like, they, the, they, the, the big thing for me, I think, is this Ryan's, um, Ryan Saunders, I think, and Flip Saunders' yep. son is the yep. head coach of that team. And he came in and replaced Tom Thibodeau. And Tom Thibodeau, old school sort of mentality when it comes to head coaching. You yep. know what I mean? I don't think, I think Andrew Wiggins, I wouldn't say he has a fragile personality, but I think someone who doesn't n- nurture his personality but nurtures his skill set you know yeah. what I mean and, yeah. and allows him I to see. grow instead of being so critical and um, like harping on what he like yeah, it's like harping yeah. on what he doesn't do exactly why don't you try someone to who's focused more what he does do well exactly focus yeah. on event metrics you know show his limitations in the game less emphasis on the the, the mid-range game he's still sort of you know embracing that old school two-point mid-range sort of style of basketball but he's shooting more threes this year he's a little bit more aggressive driving the lane so we have seen improvement when it comes to shot selection so yeah. hopefully you, he can sustain this and I really want him to you know be able to become the face of Canada I mean, can you imagine Canada's Olympic team if we had the inclusion of guys like R.J. Barrett, Jamal Murray, Shea Gillis-Alexander, and a rejuvenated Andrew No, the, I can't imagine that because none of them played in the qualifier. So now I believe we have like one more shot to get in and none of them are going to play as well. So we're not even going to be in the goddamn Olympics, which, which really pisses me off actually because like you say, when you look at that team and you're like, Holy crap. FIBA qualifiers team, we missed out on. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Like, sorry the FIBA qualifiers. Sorry, yeah. But you look at this team. And, and it's like, or that group of players, that team can compete with any team in the world, right? They, they can win, not not only get to a medal, they can win a global basketball tournament. And wouldn't that be just something amazing? Speaking of Canadian basketball players, I think Tristan Thompson's been playing some fantastic basketball Tristan this Thompson season with the Cleveland Cavaliers well. as well. You know, there is a bright spot for Canada basketball, but most importantly, I think Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns can be a sustainable duo if Andrew Wiggins can maintain this level of performance. And let me, we're talking about Canada basketball. And we didn't mention this in the Raptors segment, but I'd like to get to it. My boy, the plug, Chris Boucher. He's playing amazing. A- absolutely amazing. I'm so happy. He's getting minutes. Ibaka going down. Gave the young man some minutes. Do you see that? He did this two-handed block on Montrez Harrell that actually got him on pardon the interruption. Right? I mean, it was just that that one clip. And Tony Kornheiser made a joke about not knowing who he was. But still. Right. My boy's getting some love. Well, again, it's just another example of Masai Ujiri being able to pull under the rug and find these hidden gems. Um, Terrence Davis, too. Yeah. Ron, Ron Hollis Jefferson. 
He's Junkyard a he, dog. He's a guy that I've point of my Brooklyn Nets. I was a big Rondé Hollis Jefferson guy. Very switchy, interchangeable, three four guard. Can, he just works hard. He is. He is he plays scrappy. Like, he's, he, he he emulates the grit of he the, fits the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I lo- he's got a, so many extra possessions. That his effort is infectious. I'm so I you know it was a pleasant surprise because I I thought that he and um, Stanley Johnson were kind of in the same boat in Nick Nurse's mind that 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 really they had just fallen off. Right. But no, Hollis Jefferson is on a different level than Stanley Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um. And and he's another reason I think Hollis Jefferson why, um, we've been playing so well lately and it gives us some much needed depth. Absolutely. But let's go back to Boucher for a second. Where do you see him fit position wise? You know, obviously lanky frame, you know, three point shooter. And he, he just blocks anything around the basket. But man. again, not the like, not, doesn't have the best footwork, not the quickest, quickest guy in the court, nor but is he. He gets he, up quick. He, he, he gets, he challenges shots fairly quickly. Like he has quick springs, though his his lateral quicks aren't the quick, aren't mm-hmm. the best. But he competes very hard. But yeah, like you say, so where does he fit? A, a small ball center. Small but ball him center. and Siakam. Are on the court together, they're quite a nice dynamic, right? Like, like, um, because you know, Boucher can switch on to smaller players, right? Because he's actually not too too heavy, so he he does have enough quickness to switch on to uh, uh smaller guards, and and his length just bothers people. Like when we were playing the Lakers, Anthony Davis was just bothered. Like people, they 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 don't see it coming. Love it. Love it. Uh, so one like just last segment, I quickly want to touch uh, touch on before we get to your gripe. Who is the most hopeless organization in the NBA? If you look at every team objectively, if you talk about factor in draft pick capital, prospects, current mm-hmm. stars, who is the most hopeless team well. in the NBA? In your opinion, because well, few, I have one and my one obvious choice, and few, that is a Charlotte fucking Hornets, in my opinion. You say that. No direction, no future. They've got a couple blue chip, pro, not blue chips, a couple decent mid like, fringe prospects. P.J. Washington's playing some fantastic ball. Yeah. You know, Bridges has been relatively their, decent. Their point guard is play, playing really well. What's his name? Trevion Graham from yeah. Kansas. Uh, but again, he's not, I don't see him as a, a, a you know someone who's going to push the needle down the road. I don't view him as a starting point guard down the road. Uh, Malik Monk has been a catastrophe so far. The Terry year signing has not worked out quite well. Who are no. some other teams that you view on the bottom barrel so, when it comes to roster construction so or hopelessness? Charlotte uh, is has been a lot pluckier than people expected this year. Uh, so I was hesitant to say them because they've actually got off to a decent start, but you could probably put them in that list. They've just had really bad luck with their drafting, man. Um, to me... Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, right? Uh Cody you know, Zeller. I hate to say it again, though, man, but the New York Knicks, like, I don't, with that owner and all that's happened, I just don't see them, uh, like, it's not a place where people want to go. They've become a laughing stock, and I think as long as he's the owner, there's no credibility, and they... I think people understand that winning, you know, starts from the top, right? Like, Graffin always talks about top-down, and there's definitely something to that. And, like, you know, it's it until he sells the team, like, I don't even see R.J. Barrett staying there, man. Like, I could see him coming and playing for us. Like, why would he want to stay there? Because it's New York? You want to, you know, Brooklyn's cooler than New York. 
Manhattan's all corporate now anyways, man. It's all rich folk. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Other than, I mean, I love the garden. I went to a game last year in the garden, and it was amazing, right? Like, there's definitely still something there, but as long as James Dolan is is the is the man there in, in New York, I can't see them putting together uh, a winning team. Another team that comes to my mind right now is Washington. Just because, like, I don't know, you know, they traded Kelly Oubre Jr. away. He's playing great in Phoenix. John Wall, I don't think, is ever going to recover. They signed Bradley Beal to this big contract now. So they have themselves all invested in those two players. But I don't know if they're going to be enough anymore. When they were younger coming up, you could see that maybe if they put the right pieces around them, that's something that they could do something. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's true anymore. Yeah, Washington Wizards definitely come to mind. You, you, you talk about fi- a salary cap restraints. The John Wall contract might potentially go down as the worst contract in the history of sport. Especially oh, yeah. if he can't come back from the Achilles injury. Alrighty, we got our last segment. Uh, is It is Greg's gripe. This is going to be not directly basketball related. Uh, I don't want to get into this because I think majority of people are familiar with this topic already. But Don Cherry had some unsavory comments uh, on uh, Hockey Night on Canada, I guess, last week. He was dismissed from his position on Hockey Night in Canada. He uh, was quoted saying, you people that come here regarding uh, the mandatory obligation where Poppy, you people, you come here, whatever it is, you love our way of life, you love our milk and honey, at least you could pay a couple of bucks for Poppies or something like that. These guys paid for your way of life that you enjoy in Canada. Greg, what is your gripe about this? So let me be clear. It's not about, I'm not griping about Don Cherry. Because, you know, I don't think I need to inform people or, or or tell people what to think about that. My gripe is about the people that I'm seeing on social media that are advocating on behalf of Cherry and that are mad that he was let go. Uh, and also, like, you know, I was going by the Rogers building the other day and I happened to see those protests. And it was like seven angry white dudes with shitty homemade signs. Like, look... The readership of the Toronto Sun, basically. Yeah, and like, you know what? A lot of the hockey world and a lot of the people, the people the people aren't just, people don't seem to get it. The reason why what he said is unacceptable, to me, two things. First, because of his political history. This is a guy that represents far-right political views, whether you want to admit it or not, right? Populist politics. He was a big supporter of, of, our, of our, you know, the late Rob Ford, Right. Um, he's a guy who's also openly criticized multiple ethnicities and exactly, cultures. Yeah, with women in the locker hockey room, players as we, right? Uh, you know, criticized French Canadian hockey players as well. So he does have a pattern yeah. of. You know, he's a he's a look. But, he's, but, he's but an that's Anglo- a shtick. Co- that's what defines him. You know what I mean? But, okay, he's a, your your shtick can't be bigotry though. Right. No, you know right, what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because you're like an ignorant white old white Anglo-Saxon male. Sports about inclusion. You know right. I mean? And he shouldn't okay, be. But but secondly though, Brandon, it's also. It's the it's the time that we live in, not so much about like political correctness. You have to understand migration and inclusion and and uh the scapegoating of immigrants is a very serious concern right now in the world, right? You look at what's going on in the states where they're being scapegoated for 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 by Donald Trump for problems that run much deeper than Somebody coming here and they're willing to work for a low wage because they're trying to support their family, right? The, so, to me, it's for Don Cherry to be saying that stuff, it's dangerous, it's inflammatory, right? And I was disappointed when Mr. McLean then, is it Ron McLean? Ron McLean. Ron McLean, when he came on the next week, 
And he didn't address that issue. He didn't walk back the comments, right? He mostly talked about how much he's going to miss Don. Oh, me and Don, uh, me and Don are in the foxhole together, like they're going to war or mm-hmm. something, right? But he didn't ad- address the specific xenophobia and the scape because what when he says "you people" and he says in downtown Toronto, he's talking about newcomers in downtown Toronto. That's what he's talking about, and there's tons of people of color and minorities and immigrants from all over the world that have fought in wars for Western powers, right? And it's incredibly ignorant to presume otherwise, right? And I think, like I said, it's that in the political climate that we're in now, right, it's dangerous to allow that kind of thing to go unchecked. And I was disappointed then, too, that McLean didn't come out and walk back those comments, because there is a rise of anti-immigrant sentiment, right? Which I actually think is rooted in deeper issues of, of, of class. That you have a lot of people are working harder for less money, right? Lower, uh, uh, lower wages, less benefits. And instead of, uh, uh, you know, pointing the finger at the billionaires like Trump that have taken the money from the working class over the past 30 years, they're pointing their finger at vulnerable newcomers, right? So... To me, when I see these people online and and they're outwardly supporting Cherry, it's like why, why? Yeah, like, Inex- I just it's inexcusable. Typically, pointing in the we live in the culture of always being offended. It's the issue. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week with Christian. Uh, check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Uh, catch us at T-Sport Matters on Instagram. Thank you very much for tuning in, guys. Have yourself a fantastic week. Peace out, T-Dot.